All right, let's uh, go ahead and get started. It's good to see you guys today. And I'm really glad I don't have to like look at anyone over here. So it's <laughs> nice and easy for me. I can just right here. So I'm a little bit old school. Um, I'm sure some of you guys like to watch TV. I do too. Um, I actually started watching a show recently where I watch one episode a week. Do any of y'all still do that? Like, and not actually watch segments of shows? Some, some people do? Yeah. yeah. What, what, do y'all, what, what show do you watch every week? I mean, Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> Monday Night Football? Monday Night Football, yes, yes. This Is Us. This Is Us? Okay. So those are all, like, super good shows. I'm partial to Monday Night Football, personally, but that's all right. So, like, for Grey's Anatomy or This Is Us, do either of those shows have, like, a a summary to cap you through what happened the week before? They do? Okay. And when you watch one show a week, it's helpful to get caught up, right? Right? So we left you on a little bit of a cliffhanger last week, um... So what I'd like for us to do is to work together and craft our own little summary based on what happened last week. So I need two volunteers. I'm not going to tell tell you what you're going to do, but you're going to be really awesome and brave if you say I'll volunteer. (laughs) Promise. Meg's one. Meg's one. I need one more. Just one more. No, you don't have to stand up. You don't have to stand up. We're not going to do any magic tricks or anything. Just one more. It's really easy. Promise. It's really easy. Jonah. All right. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to stand up. All right. So you two get to decide. One of you, I need you to play TV show producer and come up with a title of Acts. Okay? Our TV show Acts. One of you, I need you to come up with a TV show name. And the other, I need you to give us a summary of what happened last week. So three quick bullet points. If you don't remember, I'm totally okay if you just read Acts 9, 1 through 9. So who's, who's going to come up with the TV show name? I'll do the name. Meg's going to do the name. <laughs> Jonah's going to summarize. <laughs> Okay. So I need the name of the TV show first. <laughs> well, I feel like in the, I don't know, but I was thinking like alliteration, but like tumultuous times. Ooh. It sounds like a daytime TV drama. <laughs> awesome. Okay. And jo- Jonah, are you good to, you're good to summarize? Yeah. So you're going to summarize on my cue, all right? Okay. Last week on tumultuous times. Saul was breathing murderous threats on his way to Damascus. He gets knocked to his butt by a shocking love. And ends of blood. Stay tuned. Love it. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, we are going to encounter Saul, right? So Saul, where we left him is blind, right? He can't see. Um, We don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, that would have been a pretty intense way to leave an episode, right? So 
This week we're going to have another cliffhanger to next week, so get ready for, for that one. But um, why don't we start and everyone turn to Acts 9, 10 through 20. And then I'm also going to read out of Acts 22, 12 through 16. And no, I'm not skipping ahead so as to reveal something new that's going to happen in the TV show. It does directly relate to this, okay? So we have, okay, perfect. So Acts 9, we go 9 through 20. That works. All right. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And then Acts 22 12 through 16, this is Saul later on in Acts explaining his encounter with Ananias. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all of the Jews living there. There is Damascus. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So, just like I kind of like to watch TV old school, we're going to use a little old school methodology to break down what we're going through here in chap chapter 9, 10 through 20. We're going to use the five W's. Easy enough, right? Did that in elementary school growing up. We're going we're gonna to do it here today because it's jam-packed with a lot of things that are going on and not much that we understand in today's context, right? So first and foremost... And this is not rhetorical, so I want y'all 
to, to speak up, is who is involved in this story from the moment that uh, we hear, um, or, or picking up in chapter 10, or, or verse 10. Saul and Ananias. The Lord. And by the Lord, Jesus? Jesus, uh, yeah, as well as So both, right? Jesus, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then two of the other minor characters or groups are this man named Judas, whose house that they're going to meet at. Not that Judas. And then the disciples living in Damascus at the time. So I want to first talk about who Ananias is, and and that was important why we read that second part, because it gave us a little bit more information about who he was. So this is the second Ananias we've met in Acts. Y'all remember the first one? (laughs) How how that ended for him? Pretty good? No? He died? (laughs) This This is a different one. And we're going to meet another Ananias later on in Acts who's the chief priest. So from all accounts, we can tell that this is a third and different Ananias living in Damascus at the time. Saul talks, or when he becomes Paul, talks about who Ananias is in that, in that area, in, in Damascus. And he's a respected man of faith. He is respected by the Jews. And from what we can tell based on his response to the words of Jesus, he is either a follower of the way or at least sympathetic to the way, right? So it's important that we set the stage there as we kind of go through some of the more important things. But he is a resident of Damascus living there. That's likely where he's coming from to meet Saul, okay? And then we have Saul. We, we know his plight. He's blind, uh, he, he needs help to, to receive sight. We also encounter Jesus again. You know, last week we talked about Jesus speaking with Saul directly about the fact that his body himself was being persecuted by Saul. The same Jesus that spoke with Saul on the road to Damascus is the same Jesus speaking with Ananias in verses 10 through 20. And then we have Judas, who we know very, very little about. Um, We don't know um, a whole lot about who he was, who he's going to be. This is really our only encounter with this man in the scriptures. And so from what we can tell is this man Judas, we don't know what group he's with. We don't know if he's a part of the way. We don't know if he's a devout Jew that wants to persecute the way or if he's completely unaffiliated with any sort of religious group at the time. And so that could be you know, concerning to both Saul when, when Jesus comes to him and tells, tells him uh, in a vision where to go, 
and he goes to this house. And likewise, it could be concerning to Ananias because Ananias is already going to meet a man named Saul that he knows is going to, in his mind, persecute him and potentially arrest him because Saul has arrest warrants from the chief priests in Jerusalem to take anyone who sympathizes with the way back to Jerusalem. So Ananias could be scared. Saul could be scared because Saul's been persecuting all these people. If he walks into a house of someone sympathetic of the way, well, that's going to be really bad for him. He's blind. He literally can't defend himself. So there's a lot of uncertainty around this whole situation. Then we have the disciples in Damascus at the end. Um, We'll talk more about Paul's initial teaching later on. Where is this taking place? In, in, In verses 10 through 20 specifically, what is the city that we're in? Damascus, right? So Damascus, capital city of modern-day Syria. We, looking back at at what historians have written, um, they've stated that Damascus is, if not the, one of the most, one of the oldest continuous lived-in cities throughout history. So currently occupied, occupied way, 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 way back in history. Um, And so we know that it may not be the largest city in the world now, but it's a prominent city. It it has population. It's it's well-established. It's roughly 136 miles north of Jerusalem. So that's, that's Paul's trip, or Saul's trip from Jerusalem to Damascus, 136 miles. I did the math on Google Maps. That takes about two and a half days to get there, walking. I don't know if that factors in sleeping at night or that's just continuously walking. But it's going to take a while to get there if we're walking. And if they're carrying um, any sort of materials, probably going to take a little bit longer. And the roads that they have back then are going to be significantly worse than we have today. So it's it's a decent trip. It's roughly the same distance from Austin to western suburbs of Houston. So think Katy, Texas. That, if you're walking from Austin, Texas to Katy, Texas, about the same distance. Maybe different topography, but same distance there. And then we have an address, kind of, uh, uh, in, in Damascus. We, we know that Judas lives on Straight Street, um, we don't have a ton of information on the, the makeup of the city. The, the Bible doesn't provide that. But looking back um, and, and studying what some of the historians have said about the establishment of old Damascus, based on what um, historians could find from the Greeks when they initially gridded out the city, Straight Street was the longest street in the city at the time of establishment by the Greeks. So when they initially put in roads, Straight Street was the longest street. So that means it may not be the busiest street in Damascus, but it's going to be one of them. Uh, it's going to be a prominent thoroughfare. There's going to be people along this street. Okay? So we're not, we're not talking about little, little old Bethlehem that's out in the middle of nowhere in a stable. We're talking prominent location where there's going to be a lot of people moving around. 
And then the last place we encounter is the synagogues. Um, And certain translations use the word meeting places. So these can be places of thought, um, places where ideas are being shared, um, discussions are being had about different theology, different belief systems. Probably, if if we see the word synagogues, probably focused around uh, the Jewish worldview. And I also like to talk about when this is happening. And I don't want to talk like this happened in 50 AD and go into all that, but general timeline about this interaction from start to finish of where we just left off. So initially, Paul's journey, Saul, get that wrong a lot today. Saul's journey begins where? His, his trip to Damascus, where does he start? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So he meets with the chief priests there. Meeting with the chief priests there, he gets essentially an arrest warrant to search and, and talk with any of the, the, the Jewish leaders in the time in Damascus about who might be sympathetic to the way. So he obtains that. Once he obtains that, he's probably going to start gathering materials, packing up, and getting ready for his trip. And so, you know, he probably wouldn't have gone on the trip unless he had gotten that warrant that he needed. So, going to be a day or two there. And then the trip to Damascus, based on the amount of of time and what they're carrying, it's going to be several days, right? From Jerusalem all the way up to Damascus. From what we can tell, somewhere along the way, Saul loses his sight. A lot of translations make it seem like it's fairly close to Damascus. And while he's lost his sight, how, how long has he lost his sight for? Or how long does he lose his sight for? Three days. Significant. Um, he loses his sight for three days. During that time, Jesus speaks to Ananias. We don't know if it was, boom, immediately after Saul losing his sight. We do know based on on the use of language that that Luke uses, it seems to be that Ananias hears this, hears from Jesus when Saul is already in Damascus. Okay. So he's lost his sight for three plus days because of the time it takes in Damascus, and he's fasting for three days in Damascus. And so once we get done with those three days, we have the encounter between Ananias at the house of Judas with Saul. He could have spent all three days of those with Saul, talking and sharing information, or it could have been immediately upon interaction, Saul, I'm Ananias, you know about me, let's do this thing. We, we don't have specifics on that. But it's three days. And then once Saul receives sight, we have another period of time where Saul goes to learn from the disciples and begins teaching in the synagogues, which is pretty quick after receiving his sight. So this whole timeline, we're talking probably a couple weeks. Um, somewhere in there, we don't have exact timelines, but it's a, a decent stretch of time from start when Paul is literally going to persecute and, and grab people and take them back to Jerusalem to 
to Saul beginning to preach the gospel. So it's a pretty quick turnaround, pretty drastic turnaround in that period of time. And then the fun part, when we get to talk about what happens. So I think there's three primary things that happen in this text, verses 10 through 20. So what's, what's the first thing that we experience um, in reading this section when we pick up with Ananias? Ananias hears from God. Okay? Um, So this is, again, important, like we talked about before. Ananias is hearing from Jesus himself. Um, We talked about it last week, how Jesus' body is, is here. Jesus himself considers his body here. And from what we can tell, if we do make some assumptions, we can probably carefully assume that either Ananias, again, is a part of that body of Jesus, or um, he understands where they're coming from and somewhat supports that. That experience is pretty unexpected, right? So Jesus is calling Ananias... One of the primary reasons it's unexpected is because he's asking him to enter into a situation that's really uncomfortable. Saying, hey, you know this guy? You've heard about this guy? He's been blind. And I want you to help him out. And in helping him out, this is what I'm going to do with him. He doesn't say how that's going to go down. Ananias has to trust God, has to trust Jesus in that time. Um, Because again, he's walking into a house that he probably doesn't know. He may have seen it by living in Damascus, but he probably doesn't know Judas. And he's never met Saul and probably doesn't trust him despite what God has said because his first response is, no way. No thanks. I'm good. Um, I'm a part of this way. I want to keep being a part of this way. Our church is being spread out. We're a fringe group. We, we want to continue this forward. And it's funny <laughs> that God reassures him. And, and Jesus reassures him <laughs> by telling him, it's all good. So you're concerned Saul, he's going to be the one to spread my word to all people. And in doing so, he's going to suffer. So, you know, he's been causing all this suffering. Take heart. It's okay. He's not going to just completely get away scot-free and be fine. He's going to suffer for my name. So I can kind of picture Ananias being like, okay, thanks, just God. I appreciate that. I'm very thankful that uh, you're here as well. You're, you're, you're the just God and, and the gracious God. So um, you're going to give Saul what he has deserved for pre- persecuting your body. And then what's the, what's the second thing that happens after 
Ananias hears from Jesus and then essentially accepts the challenge that, that Jesus poses to him. What happens after that? So Saul is healed, which we get another really interesting tidbit of how that goes down, right? What, what's, what's weird about Saul being healed? What's, what's, the, what's the thing that's on a lot of our minds right now? Scales. Scales. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, interesting. We talked about flaming tongues. We've got scales now. Oh, Souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> Remember these. Like when you lose a tooth in your kid. Yeah. It, we don't know. We don't know. It could, he could have. He, to, he totally could have. So I think this is interesting, right? So immediately, it, I mean, are some of us skeptical that that like happened? Like literal scales fell from his eyes? Any of us like that's kind of it's kind of weird. Like contacts are like cataracts. I don't know. Like my dad just had cataract surgery and he's like, I can see twenty. Like he's been had terrible vision his whole life. And yeah. I don't know. I think of it like something. So did he literally have scales like come out of his eyes? Yeah. Really? I guess I actually think right? it lends legitimacy because it seems less magical and more like a physical ailment that could have occurred to block his vision. Which is which is in- interesting, right? Because Luke's a physician. Yes. Right? Makes sense Luke, Luke would discuss Yeah. He, he knows. And I, I love the, that, that in, in a lot of the translations, it's not scales from, fell from his eyes. He explains it as something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. So if, if we do believe literally physical scale-like things fell from Saul's eyes. You know, I, I see here Luke is trying to explain it in a way similar to how, you know, I know Caitlin, Meg, you both work with little kids a lot, um, explaining them things. Like Luke is explaining to a group of non-medical professionals what happened. Um, just like y'all explain to kids in analogies, Right? Oftentimes we can't explain the exact way things work because it doesn't make sense. But if we give an analogy to it, it may click in a child's mind. So Lauren and I were talking about this uh, the other day um, and and playing the other side of if this wasn't something that literally happened. Assuming this wasn't something literally happened, but Luke thought it important to include here. Um, This could easily be symbolism for the old self. So, having something, once you believe in Jesus, your old self is done away with, and you've entered a new body. Um, we know that reptiles, snakes in particular, they literally shed scales 
um, so as to have, it allows them to have healthier skin, um, allows them to continue to, to operate more efficiently than they did in the past because their old scales are worn out. And so um, if, which very, very well could be literal, but either way, I think it's important what Luke is saying here that Saul literally at that moment became someone new. And what's the last event, important event that happens in this short two, maybe three week time period? What's that? He did get to eat. I love that. Right? I mean, like, think about that, right? Like, he, he literally made this trip, which, I mean, honestly, through the desert, really, for a few days. It's laborious, labor-intensive. Labor um, and then he immediately fasts after that. The heck? Like, I would have chowed down that hamburger right when I got to Damascus. What else about this passage is, is important? What is, the, what is the final thing that Saul does? He joins the way and starts preaching Jesus. He joins the way and starts preaching Jesus in the synagogues or the meeting places with other people, which it's likely Ananias is not, I mean, he, he got to interact with Jesus, so he heard what was going to happen, but I'm sure quite a few people in Damascus were like, mm, I don't know, is that, is that legit? So effectively, this kicks off Saul's teaching. Um, we can debate when his ministry begins, but we clearly see that this is when he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think it's really, really important here to talk through how that went. What are the two things that happened before he taught, before he began, before he begins his, his ministry? There's two things, and they're like someone else. baptized, he spent time with the disciples, and he fasted. Oh, he did spend time with the disciples. You know, Jesus spent time with, with John the Baptist, got baptized, and, and fasted for 40 days in the desert. Now, you know, Saul's a man, so he's not going to refrain from eating and drinking for 40 days. It's probably not going to go well. Um, but he does for, for three days. And so um, I think that that's, that's really important to us in, in thinking about our daily lives 
and, and, and how we're going about practicing um, and preparing for interacting with the world. So, finally, we get to the why, the all-important why of, of why is Luke including this in Acts? Why is it important? How does it apply to us today in Austin, Texas? We see again the unexpected movement of the Spirit. We've seen that throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, with a number of different characters in Scripture. But more recently, we see that in Bethlehem, tiny, podunk place. That's where Jesus is born, humble beginnings. We see that all the way through the resurrection. We see Jesus taking on the form of a servant and not the righteous, winning king that so many expect. That he goes to the cross and dies and is resurrected. This is not how people were expecting this to go. We see it again at Pentecost when we have all these different people speaking in different languages, praising God. And we see it again and again and again with different people and different members of the body of Christ healing just like Jesus. The Spirit is moving unexpectedly and it's going to continue to do that through Saul, someone who was literally persecuting the body of Christ. And God is going to use that to carry it to the Gentiles and to the kings of nations and still the Jews. I think this is important because, you know, all of us come from different backgrounds. Some of us grew up in the church. Some of us didn't. For those of us who did, oftentimes we try to put a formula around the Holy Spirit. We try and say, if this box is checked, this box is checked, this box is checked, clearly that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I don't think any of this would follow that. So, for those of us who are comfortable with that belief, I think this is a challenge for us to get out of that comfort zone and and be open to hearing the things that are unexpected. Um, Interacting with the neighbors that don't treat us so well or meeting people in random places as opposed to having our headphones on all the time. It's something I need to <laughs> do. Being open to seeing the way the Spirit is going to move and being in touch with the Spirit. You know, both you know, Ananias and recently we talked about in Lent, Peter, are very, very skeptical of the Spirit's prompting initially. 
Peter literally denies Jesus three times. Ananias doesn't want to heal Saul. I think it's telling when we even see Jesus in the garden ask his father if the cup can be passed from him and he can be spared. I think God understands that we do have hesitancy. Um, and that hesitancy is okay. But the beautiful thing in all of these circumstances is the members of the body eventually submit, even though there may be some initial discomfort. And then I think for others, we need a little more structure in our lives. Some of us have a difficult time before we go out in the world. We have a difficult time. We talk about fasting and baptism. I don't think we need to be baptized every time we go out, but I think there's something to be said for baptism and spending time quietly, being contemplative, surrounding the ways of God. And some of us need to do a better job, myself, most of all, in sitting in his word and and listening to the spirit um, and being comfortable with how it will move me. So as we go forward, we're going to have another cliffhanger. Y'all know at the end we have Saul. He's not Paul yet. A lot of us know he's going to be Paul. What's next for him? We got a little foreshadowing from Jesus that there's suffering that's going to be in store. That will happen. Saul, just like he relied on Ananias for healing in this time, is going to continue to need to rely on other people in other cities to help support him and sustain him. Just like we saw in the early church where they're sharing their possessions, caring for others, helping each other out in times of need. We're going to see more interactions with an unexpected movement of the Holy Spirit. Surely will come again. And one of the greatest pieces of all that we get to enjoy about the Holy Spirit is that it's not show favoritism. I'm excited that we get to talk about meeting with the Gentiles and meeting with kings and being put in high-pressure situations and seeing God come through time and again and love Saul, someone who persecuted him, Ananias, someone who's sympathetic to him, Gentiles who have no regard for him. The gospel is for all. So with that, let's bow our heads. Uh, Let's pray, and we'll move into a time of communion. Father, we thank you so much for your mercy, your love for each of us in this room and your entire world outside of it. We thank you for the different stories that you show us of ways you move unexpectedly 
and that you're willing to meet us where we are. Use us as your chosen instruments so that we can meet others where they are, Lord. Give us the strength. Challenge us in this community that we may love all of those that we come in contact with. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.